Overdrive. Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that samples and savours the world of cars and transport. I'm David Brown and in this program we have news stories with David Campbell, including Fiat Chrysler proposes a merger with Renault. And Toyota hits back over Trump signalling Japanese investments not welcome. We have a road test of the Volkswagen Polo GTI with Rob Fraser. There are two motoring minutes, one on a Range Rover, the other on the return of the Sanyong Muso. And we have some quirky news with Brian Smith. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. Or our Facebook site is Overdrive City. So let's start the program with the news. Two of the world's biggest car makers may soon join forces. Fiat Chrysler has submitted a merger proposal to French rival Renault. Each car maker would control half of the merged entity. The companies have been discussing ways to cooperate on products and new technology, but Fiat Chrysler said more could be gained from a merger. Fiat Chrysler owns brands including Jeep, Dodge, Alfa Romeo and Maserati. It said a merger would create a company with annual vehicle sales of 8.7 million, ranking behind only Volkswagen and Toyota. Renault is already a member of the world's biggest automotive alliance with Japanese car makers Nissan and Mitsubishi. It's not clear how a merger with Fiat Chrysler would affect that alliance, which was thrown into turmoil following the arrest late last year of its former leader, Carlos Ghosn. Renault holds a 43.5% stake in Nissan, while Nissan holds 15% of Renault. US President Donald Trump recently visited Japan, and tariffs on Japanese automakers was high on the agenda. Before he left for Japan, he declared that imported cars represented a threat to US national security, but announced a delay on imposing tariffs on imported vehicles and parts from the European Union, Japan and other nations for 180 days to pursue negotiations. The move resulted in a sharp rebuke from Japan's largest automaker. Toyota said that Mr Trump's proclamation sends a message that our investments are not welcomed and contributions from each of our employees across America are not valued. The company has 10 manufacturing plants in the United States and is building a new $1.6 billion factory in Alabama that's scheduled to start production in 2021. Australian electric vehicle developer Ace EV has sealed a partnership with Adelaide truck body maker Aldom that will mark the beginning of a light commercial and passenger electric vehicle industry in Australia. Under the landmark agreement with Aldom Motor Builders, The assembly of ACE's EV cargo commercial vehicle will commence in the first quarter of 2020. The company will take on 15 to 20 new staff and ultimately aims to build 10 cars a week on the new assembly line. An election survey by the Australian Automobile Association of more than 17,000 Australians 
has highlighted the difference in metropolitan and regional Australia's road and transport priorities. Traffic congestion rates as the number one priority in metropolitan seats, but the biggest priority in rural and regional areas is road safety. David Brown from Overdrive is concerned that elections are typically about promising a few big projects. Over the next four years, motorists will pay almost $56 billion of fuel excise alone. That means this year, the average household will pay over $1,200 in fuel excise. Many Australians want more of these funds invested into transport and related infrastructure. Overdrive has reported extensively on electric and hybrid vehicles. But what about the aviation market? There are more than 170 companies currently working on electric and hybrid aircraft systems and components from around the world. From giants such as Airbus and Boeing to startups like Wright Electric, which is partnering with EasyJet on one of the most ambitious projects for a commercial all-electric aeroplane. A report from London's Heathrow Airport predicts that electric aircraft will be flying from major international airports by 2030. Recently, Airbus and Scandinavian Airlines announced that they will collaborate on research into hybrid and electric aircraft ecosystems and the infrastructure to support them. An Airbus spokesman said that the aim is to address the entire aircraft operations ecosystems in order to better support the aviation's industry's transition to sustainable energy. The partnership will start in June 2019 and run through until the end of 2020. German humour, as is quite often pointed out, is no laughing matter, which is precisely what makes this send-off to Dieter Zest, who recently stepped down from his position as CEO of Daimler, so funny. In a BMW ad called Retirement is about exploring your wide-open future, an actor, who looks like Zest, says farewell on his last day, departs Daimler's headquarters in Stuttgart, and as soon as he gets home, opens the garage door and zooms off in a hybrid BMW i8 Roadster. The jab serves as a reminder that the two German companies were once staunch rivals, yet now they're both facing the steep costs of electric vehicle development and have recently merged their mobility operations and have agreed to work together on self-driving technology. And that has been the news. Sanyong is a South Korean-based car manufacturer now mainly owned by Indian interests. They started in 1954, and between 93 and 2011, they produced an SUV, the Muso, which means rhinoceros in Korean, and they also gave that name to a ute they built for three years. They failed in Australia, not helped by most models, having an unusual appearance. Now they're back with the new Muso XLV dual cab ute, boasting the segment's longest tray, many features, and either a leaf spring rear suspension for hard work or the more comfortable coil spring suspension. They should do better this time. Overdrive, answering your questions across Australia.
The first Volkswagen Polo model appeared way back in 1975. Now, it came as a two-door sedan or three-door hatch. It was a city car and very much a car of its time where you accepted compromises, such as not having four doors for passengers because you are getting a new car, but at a cheap price. Now, the only cars we have with two doors, I think, are sports cars. Now, the Polo, like most nameplates, has had what I would call vehicle inflation. They grow in size over the years. Last year, they released a new model, and they called it sportier, larger, more connected and personalised. Having just uh, driven the hot version, the GTI, is our friend Rob Fraser, and he joins us on the line now. Rob, it has got bigger, hasn't it? Look, it definitely has. The the Polo now is probably a little bit larger than the original Golf was when it was first introduced all those years ago. Although the base model, the engine option is in fact smaller. It's a three-cylinder, one-litre, following a trend there, trying to make sure you register very good fuel consumption on the laboratory tests. True, true. But you've been driving the GTI. Now, we have known Volkswagen for the hot hatch, mainly with the Golf GTI, but the Polo GTI, there's some sibling rivalry there, isn't there? I think it has come up in image, now really a hot hatch in its own right. Well, it is. I mean, it's certainly still a little bit smaller than the current model Golf, which I actually have this week, and the engine is not quite as powerful, but in its own right, it is actually a fun car to drive. It's got a lot of features. They do sell Volkswagen products based on sophistication, don't they? It's not just your little vehicle that you might get in a supermarket. Look, absolutely. And the beauty about this Polo is it's one of those sort of cars where you drive it and it, it just starts to feel part of you. You actually enjoy going for the drive. The ergonomics for the driver are excellent. Just little things like the the armrest is padded at the right height. Everywhere you touch is sort of padded. All your elbow points are padded. Mm. One thing that's a particular bugbear of mine is we have that storage tray in front of the transmission. You know, you've got your USB and 12-watt plugs at the very back of that. Mm. On the Polo, it's actually raised, so you can still use that storage tray and still have your USB plugs put in as well. Tiny little bits like that that, that make the ergonomics so much easier for the driver. I was driving, I think, the Ford Endura, which had, was it that one that had the uh, gear lever sort of partway up the dash a bit so that you could put all your storage things behind the gear lever between you and the two seats. It was the first thing I noticed that made it so much easier to work with. And you really notice when you jump in a car and there is not those type of storage areas available. And, and some cars, you know, even have really tiny cup holders. So it's, it's those little things, I think, that make the difference. The GTI Polo, what engine does it come with? Two-litre petrol four-cylinder. Hmm. It's got about 147 kilowatts of power, but the real key factor is that it's got a lot of torque, low down at around that 1,400 revs, so it makes the drivability easy. It doesn't come with a manual, does it? You can only get the dual clutch? It's the seven-speed dual clutch, and... Unlike a lot of dual clutches, it doesn't have a lot of that jerkiness at low speeds. It's actually quite smooth, especially when you put it into sport, it transforms the vehicle totally. Yeah, I find that with dual clutches, that sometimes starting on a hill, 
it sort of hesitates or doesn't quite get it right, but then once it goes, it's fine. It just adds that element of doubt in your mind. But this one, as you say, worked smoothly. In fact, the price of it is about $32,000, which makes it significantly cheaper than the Golf GTI. That value from money point of view, that's not bad. It's actually pretty good. And, I mean, as I said, I spent the week driving around it, and as you know, I'm sort of a bit larger than the average bear. I could quite comfortably fit in the front seats. Plenty of room, plenty of headroom, very comfortable seats. It was actually a really good size. So unless you wanted that extra bit of power or that extra bit of size, the Polo, it makes a very compelling argument for itself. They come with some reasonably good features, cruise control. However, you've got to go to a a driver assist package, is it, to get adaptive cruise and other things? You do. That's about $1,400. And to be honest, it's worthwhile because of what it adds. But having said the ergonomics are excellent, there's a couple of little things that it doesn't have. One is the uh, to be able to answer the telephone by a button on the um, steering wheel. doesn't have it. Oh. Very, very annoying. It does have Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, so that's positive. But yep. So you've got to lean over and press a touchscreen? Yes, but the touchscreen is very, very uh, touch-sensitive. So it's, it works well, looks well, angled towards the driver. So all that side of it's excellent. But it's just that, that first time you get a phone call and you're looking for the button, you go, where, where can I answer the phone? Oh, I've got to press it over there. just makes it a little bit sort of different. But apart from that, everything else works well for the driver. Got reasonable other controls on your steering wheel. You've got all the um, cruise control and the audio system, all that type of stuff is there as well. Then you've got uh, paddle shifts, which, again, I'm not a huge fan of, but they do work pretty well in this car. So... Everything else is there, and it's a a really good flat-bottom steering wheel, that sort of typical Volkswagen steering wheel that fits great in the hand, very responsive. As I said, I keep saying it, it's actually a really fun car to drive. Overall, you would uh, give it the thumbs up. It's not too raucous, but certainly one that you can enjoy if you're a little bit of a rev head. Absolutely. It's got a beautiful burble as you drive off, which just makes it worthwhile. (laughs) Yes. Who cares if you have to potter around as long as it sounds right? Absolutely. (laughs) Rob, thanks very much for your time. David, thank you. That's Rob Fraser, and we were talking about the Volkswagen Polo having grown in size from the little things that were launched some 30 or near 40 years ago. And they have grown, but also they have evolved, as have many cars, in the technology that they offer. Overdrive, answering your questions across Australia. Range Rover Sport SVR is simply stunning. It will transport four occupants in complete luxury and comfort, along with all their luggage. It has true four-wheel drive capabilities that, to be honest, very few, if any, owners will ever explore. Along with awesome performance, it possesses balanced ride and handling. It can easily be driven around every day, yet will blast into action whenever asked, without any hint of fuss. The SVR, though, is expensive at around $238,000, plus the usual added costs, comes with a long and often expensive options list. Is it worth twice as much as a BMW X4 M40? 
or another half again on an Audi SQ7? I'm not sure, only the buyer can say that. I know this much though, if I could afford it, I would buy the SVR without hesitating. Overdrive. If you have a question, suggestion or comment, send an email to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. Last week in the Quirky News segment, we began discussing the ramifications of Usain Bolt putting his name to an electric car company. Could some other athletes do the same? We thought of quite a few male names, but then we pondered a little further. We pick up the conversation with Brian Smith. So Bolt's great. I think um, let's find some other sort of awesome sports people to promote um, electric vehicles. I can't see it Australians doing it, cricketers or anything like that, ball tampering, you know, there's a <laughs> trust issues. That is where they claim a certain fuel consumption, but of course it's mm. not it's not true. The the lady sprinter I remember now was Florence Joyner. Florence Joyner, Flojo. Flojo, yes. She uh, clearly one who was very very spectacular, very flashy. Mm. Do we really want that in electric cars? Well, look, electric cars are more like a people's vehicle, aren't they? I I like to think of them that way, that it's not about, you know, expensive electric vehicles. It's about usable things like this B-Nano, which are intended to change our lives. I I think that's that's much better. Then the runner you're talking about is the one that buys expensive shoes but jogs around the block. (laughs) <laughs> yes. So it yes. looks, looks good for a while, but tires out very quickly. Yeah. We could get some rugby players involved, David, where there would be an association with congestion from scrums and rucks and things like that, and, and the mirrors could be really misshapen, couldn't they? <laughs> like their ears. <laughs> their ears, yeah. <laughs> Brian, you have a story that picks on a theme that we've touched on over the years. Hey, not so good news for sports car owners, so. The uh, scientists have made a, a connection uh, between um, primates with smaller genitalia being more flashy and aggressive. Not good, not good news for sort of owners of fancy cars. But University of Western Australia and University of Zurich have, have published in uh, a Royal Society journal uh, a study about proboscis monkeys and uh, other types of primates and, um, and how they use badges of status if they have small genitalia. So flashy physical traits like the red chest patches, hair capes and enlarged noses and big teeth are all sort of aggressive symbols for primates that are not well endowed. And I think um, we're often sort of drawing a lot of inspiration from nature in our discussions about human behaviours with transport and mobility. And you can't go past thinking about flashy physical traits and motor vehicles. I guess noise as well, the sort of hooting, hooting and carrying on could be the kind of the owners of, uh, say, Harley-Davidson motorbikes. Ah, yes. Gigantic V8s where they tend to not use uh, silences very well big exhaust pipes but now i think i'm mixing my metaphors Uh 
I never said I like large cars, Brian. I just want to point that out. <laughs> in any research, you have to declare any conflicts of interest or any, any uh, associations. Mm. So do the people that make this research, should they declare that they all drive 1995 <laughs> Hyundai XLs? Well, look, I think they, they could certainly do that, but uh, I think when their eyes meet the primate's eyes in the course of this research, both are going to know, right? There'll be a sort of a knowing, a knowing <laughs> communication. Well, maybe the research needed to have a balance that it had researchers, the undergrads who can't afford anything versus mm. the professors who oh, might drive yeah, a Porsche okay. just to make sure that the research is right. Different types of measurement and hypotheses. Yes, yes, that they're not, uh -huh. not in the bias. Of course, I always do remember uh, years ago, well, a couple of years ago, when we did the story of the Porsche Car Club renting out the Sistine Chapel. <laughs> do you remember your comment on that? I don't, David. I'm hoping you do. You suggested that if you look at Renaissance art, <laughs> yes. they're not going to be offended by it. <laughs> Because you see all those little cherubs with very tiny dingalings and <laughs> the statue of David. They'll feel right at home, won't they? <laughs> now, talking about showing off and spending conspicuous consumption, perhaps to try and compensate for something else, Bentley, it's celebrating its 100th anniversary of its founding this year, and one of the highlights they've planned, they're going to launch a number of special books, an opus of stories and photographs that detail Bentley's past and, and also perhaps into its future as well. The Bentley Centenary Opus. It weighs 66 pounds. It's 1.5 metres long. And the reason they did that was to ensure the images are portrait, which I actually quite like. I hate photos that go across mm. pages. And there's even some fold-out sections with photos stretching six and a half feet in length. That's about, what, two metres mm. in length, which is pretty good. And they're going to make them. Now, you can get the base model of this, $3,800 American dollars. That's still not insignificant. But if you go to the Mulliner edition, that sets you back $16,000. There's only going to be 100 produced. And each one comes with a handmade clamshell case with an engine spin finish, whatever that means. But, but that's nothing. But wait, that's not all. There's steak knives as well. There's the uh, carrot, as in diamond, carrot, and so on, edition, which is priced at $250,000. In the UK that's, or US, that's about $30,000 more than the starting price of a Bentley Continental GT. Apparently, wait, there's more, they're going to have a special, special Mulsane uh, edition, which will feature a slice of the original crankshaft that featured on the 1938 litre Bentley owned by company founder Walter Owen, W.O. Bentley. Good Lord. So a piece of the original crankshaft attached. Yeah. That's just amazing, David. Um, I'm getting the audiobook <laughs> version, which is just $9.99, and I'd recommend that to, to the... The audio book, they're going to have to get Brenner or someone to, to read it, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> they can't get, uh, yeah, they can't just get anyone to do that. Well, look, David, who says print is dead? <laughs> I mean, this is, uh, this is pretty impressive. 
I'm not sure the extent to which you know you people would buy it to read it or just to acquire ah. it. Sixteen thousand dollars for the Mulliner edition, which comes with a bit of rubber from the left front tire of the Bentley Speed Eight that won at the 2003 24-hour of Le Mans. Why the 2003 one? Was that remarkable from the last time they won? I think that's probably the last time they won overall at Le Mans. I mean, there's been a great dominance by other people. How do we validate? Well, that's true. Who kept the tyre? Yeah. And which tyre? Did You know, which lap was it used on? <laughs> I'm wanting more information. It might be in the footnotes. <laughs> I suppose if I can find a room big enough to unfold the pages, the the 6.5 feet pages of folding out, you, you wouldn't want to make a mistake and tear it or something, would you? Well, nothing's, nothing about the type of paper it's printed on. I was hoping that the type of paper would have had some kind of Bentley, you know, if they're made from the grass underneath the car in the picture. That's <laughs> <laughs> hand woven I don't think they want me to buy the book right? mm. I have a friend who loves books and has worked in the book industry great friend of our friend in fact uh, our mate Fred Brain's wife Pamela she and I we get on quite well but we are of different religions I get a book and I read it and I underline what I like and I fold the corner down to say where he is she loves the book for its pristine feel you're the Philistine. I'm the Philistine. In this story. If someone's got a $250,000 carat edition of the Bentley book, they better not lend it to me. <laughs> well, look, I th- think if you get this book, the, the ultimate would be to you know, just um, f- turn the corner over where you are as you're reading. Just go, yeah, so what? <laughs> 3800 $16,000? Nothing. <laughs> Yes, the ultimate contempt for it, isn't it? Yeah. I also, is the thing of reading a book in the bath in case you drop it there? Uh, Shocked by some passage in there. Well, if it's 66 pounds, that's 30 or so kilograms. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, most people who buy this will have people to hold it for them, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) I'll use it to prop open the door. (laughs) Brian, lovely to talk to you. We'll catch you up next week, eh? As always, David. Brian Smith, and we were talking stories that may amaze you about motoring and transport, but not necessarily in a technical sense. This has been Overdrive. My thanks to David Campbell, Rob Fraser, Brian Smith and Paul Just for their passionate support of this program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au and previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. And of course we have our Facebook page, Overdrive City. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.